Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 167. It's a mini episode with uh, Dr. Guy Winch, and we're going to, uh, we're going to talk about failure and before we get to that, uh, I just want to read a couple of surveys. And this is from the Shouldn't Feel This Way survey. And it was filled out by a woman who calls herself Ella. She's uh, straight in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. What would you like people to say about you at your funeral? I hope they say that I brought light and love into a lot of people's lives and that I was a force for positive change in the world, both on an interpersonal and systemic level. Ooh, smarty pants. Uh, how does writing that make you feel? It makes me feel scared that I will spew more negative energy into the world than positive and scared that I will never achieve greatness and never achieve my dreams. It also makes me feel overwhelmed. I feel like I haven't done enough so far in my life and that I have wasted too much time and that I'm behind in the game, whatever the game is. Um, I call that uh, feelings three steps behind the universe, which is the feeling I have in my chest every morning when I wake up. Uh, continuing, I, al- I am also afraid that I will remain a volatile person with intense mood swings and lows until my death, and that I will die before I find some kind of inner peace and acceptance. If you had a time machine, how would you use it? I would want to see dinosaurs or visit Paris in the early 1900s and swing by the salons of great literary and artistic figures like Gertrude Stein. Uh, I'm supposed to feel happy about turning 24, but I don't. I feel like a failure. I'm supposed to feel excited about the prospect of climbing a mountain this summer, but I don't. I feel totally out of shape and unprepared and overwhelmed. I feel like this dream of mine is just going to turn into another line on my list of failures. I'm supposed to feel okay about getting up and going to work, but I don't. I feel tired. I'm supposed to feel hopeful about the rest of my life, but I don't. I feel hopeless, overwhelmed, and paralyzed. How does it make you feel to write your your feelings out? Yeesh, like nails on a chalkboard. Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? Not after listening to your podcast. 
but I do feel abnormal compared to my friends who seem to be able to find a way to exist in this world. I just feel like I can't. Would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better about yourself? Maybe a tiny bit, but as long as I don't live up to my expectations or feel like I'm living in alignment with my beliefs, values, and desires, I will not feel at ease with myself. Thank you for that, Ella. Um, this is from the body shame survey, and I guess this could probably could have been read in the uh, just as well in the episode about rejection, but I feel like this... Um, I don't know. I, I was moved by this, so I wanted to read it. This is from the Body Shame Survey, filled out by um, a woman who calls herself Pimple Faced. Pimple Faced, thank God for makeup. Um, she is in her 20s and bisexual. Um, what do you like or dislike about your body and why? I'm a black female and I have acne. I dislike my skin color, not because I hate being black. In fact, I love being black. But being black has caused me so much pain and strife uh, that... Just to be a generic white person for a day would allow me to understand the other side of things, I suppose. Um, when people, men especially, see me, all I can think is that they think I am some exotic piece of meat that they would like to try but not make part of their staple diet. I witnessed a person I had a crush on for two years, and I told him I liked him and flat out said he... And, I told him I liked him, and he flat out said he was not into black girls. I saw him take a dump in a public place late at night because he couldn't wait until he got home. He did he did that, and I still liked him. But because of this barrier that is my blackness, I was not for him. I've been treated differently during my elementary, junior, and senior high school years by teachers who didn't know how to teach me. I am most attracted to white cowboy looking guys because that was the environment I grew up in, but I realized that I am not the norm for them. This makes me want to hide everything, myself and my feelings. I try not to allow myself to feel anything romantic for white guys because I just sense that they'd like to taste me, but they would never bring me home to their family. I know that this is all probably just in my head, but growing and in my head, uh, but growing and clearly being rejected and treated differently because of the color of my skin just hurts. I am also turning 26 and still have acne. I can't even express how much I want to get over this stupid acne. Sending you a hug. And uh, this last one before we get to the interview with Guy Winch is from the Shouldn't Feel This Way survey. And this is filled out by a guy who calls himself Kilgore Trout. He is um, straight in his 40s, uh, raised in a stable and safe environment. Although he says, I say stable and safe, but my father died when I was five and I was alone with him when it happened. In reality, it was stable and safe. In my head, it was Gallipoli. Um, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? At least he fucking tried. How does writing that make you feel? Not much, really. I don't really expect to have a well-attended funeral. It's not that I've alienated people. I've just isolated myself. If you had a time machine, how would you use it? I would go back in time to watch someone listen to Rubber Soul for the first time. Um, oh, God, you know, my thought is I want to go see them record Rubble, Rubber Soul. That would be... That, that would be like... That album for me changed everything. That and Revolver. I think actually, I think I might, I don't know, both those albums. I, got, I own the fucking time machine. Why, why am I, why am I chintzing myself out of rides on the time machine? 
even in my fantasies, I'm stingy with myself. Anyway, uh, so we'd want to go back in time and watch someone listen to Rubber Soul for the first time. I'd love to see the look on someone's face when hearing something amazing and new for the first time. I wouldn't go back to any point in my personal life because I look back at it enough. I don't need it in 3D. I'm supposed to feel satisfaction about my work, but I don't. I feel like a failure. I'm supposed, I've supposedly accomplished many things in my life, but all I see is a string of failures and emptiness. They say to do what you love, but right now I'm not sure what I love, if anything. How does writing that make you feel? Nothing. It doesn't make me feel anything. I'm not ashamed about feeling worthless and a failure. I just wish I didn't feel that way. I wish I could see whatever it is that other people see when I complain about it. I don't see anything I've been successful at except being a snarky asshole. The only thing I'm proud of is that I have a good family. The only shame I feel is that they can see their husband slash slash father doesn't think he has much value. Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? No. I think more people feel that way than are willing to admit. I would I would heartily agree with that. Uh, I think they are just much better actors than I am. Let's face it. Anyone who battles depression and anxiety can become an expert faker. We can pretend that we are completely normal all day long, and then when we get home, we melt into a puddle of regret, fear, and loathing. Would knowing other people feel the same way uh, make you feel better about yourself? Yes, I think it would make everyone feel better about themselves if they knew that other people were suffering. Thank you for sharing that, Kilgore. And uh, let's get to the, uh, the little chat with uh, with Guy Winch about failure. I'm here with uh, with Guy Winch, and uh, he has a book out called Emotional First Aid, and it's full of tips uh, for how to deal with um, common emotional injuries and issues that we deal with. Uh, we've talked previously about uh, rumination, rejection, loneliness. What's what's another uh, big one? So another big one is failure. Because, boy, we, we do that a lot. And it's actually, it's very, very important that we do. You know, it's how we learn is, is by failure. You know, as kids, toddlers, you actually, if, you, if you've been to a room full of toddlers, you can actually see the different responses to failure that toddlers have. And it's kind of, it's sad to think, but it's probably going to be how they respond to it as adults because we do learn that pretty early so you'll see you know like if you have a jack-in-the-box uh, and you have to like pull this thing to, to to have the toy come out so you'll see the toddler that fusses with it and gets frustrated and pushes it away and you'll see the toddler that keeps trying and keeps trying and keeps trying until they get it and you'll see the toddler that's kind of frozen because they don't know what to do and they don't know if they'll succeed so they don't even try i mean you'll just see all those different coping styles um, you know, the, the immediate frustration, the never giving up, the, the getting angry and smashing the thing, trying to, you know, do it by force, trying to peek over the other toddler's shoulder to, you know, copy their answers for the exam. You can see it from a very young age. How we deal with failure uh, tends to be a little bit of a pattern, but we can change it. It's one of those things that if we catch ourselves having not the best types of responses to failure, we can change them. You know, one of the places you see it uh, very frequently, actually, is on uh, reality TV competition shows. Mm -hmm. uh, because you can see the, you know, the competitors getting the same feedback every week. Oh, yeah, I have time management. So this week, I'm going to do this Herculean task and get screwed again. You know, and you're like, didn't you just say you had time management issues? That means take 20% off what you thought you're going to try and achieve, but they don't. So the thing about failure is that it really creates a perceptual distortion. 
in our heads. They did one study. The anticipation of failure or the experience of having failed? Exactly. The having failed does Mm -hmm. that. They did one study in which they had people kick a football, an American football, um, over a, a field goal. Uh, which was it was 10 uh, yards away but it wasn't marked and then they had them estimate well how far and how high up is the goalpost and the people who failed estimated it as being much further away um, than the people who succeeded because once you fail at something it seems to be uh, a higher mountain to climb and your abilities seem to be less up to the task in terms of trying it again even though the task itself hasn't changed nor have your abilities And the other thing that failure does is it makes us really believe that we can't do it in a way that really psychs us out. You know, there's many, many, many studies where they give people an impossible uh, test of an easy variety, but it's rigged so that you can't succeed. And then you give them the easy version, which anyone can do, and they fail it. Really? Yes, there are many tests like that. They, They fail the most easy tests because they failed at it the first time when it was indeed. And so they figured... This is too difficult, and they're unable to use the actual resources and abilities they do have to pass the easy version. So we have to be aware that that's what failure does, that it's going to distort our perceptions of how difficult it is to achieve something and how capable we are of achieving it in the first place, and we have to correct for that. So what are some tips for how to deal with failure? So, for example, you know, uh, New Year's is a disaster, New Year's for a lot of people. And, you know, I, I have a private practice. I went patients, and these patients will come in every year, and they, they'll whip out their lists of New Year's resolutions, and it's longer than their children's list to Santa and less realistic. <laughs> and I'm like, um, how, how many things are we changing? This, are we, oh, all, all 16. Are we really so, going to uh, climb Mount Everest in sandals? <laughs> so, right. So, so people make a number of very, very, very common mistakes. I'm just going to rattle off a few because they're ridiculous if you think about them. But we do them all the time. The most common mistake, we don't set a start date. You think, well, it's January 1st. No, it's not. Because that falls on a Saturday and we were thinking of starting on a Monday. It might be the Monday after, but they don't quite decide. And oh, lo and behold, they don't start. So they don't set a start date. They don't think through how they're going to get there in the first place. In other words, they'll come up with goals that are too vague, such as, and I hear this all the time, my goal for this year, I'm going to be happier. All <laughs> oh, right. Well, great. <laughs> Not sure what it means, but I'm all for it. You know, I'm going to be ha- or the Or the goal is just really not realistic. I'm going to write a best-selling novel. Well, you can't write a best-selling novel. You can write a novel right. and hope that it is, but you can't write a best-selling one because that will incapacitate you on page one. You know, um, or that, you know, that these goals which are not practical. You know, I just got divorced. I have four kids. So I'm going to hit the gym four times a week. Really, with four kids? No, you're not. It's just not practical for you to do that. So you have to be thoughtful in what is the goal that you're setting. And then you have to be really thoughtful about the planning. This is where we tend to go wrong. We don't plan. Oh, you, you want to get healthy. All for it. You want to lose 20 pounds? Terrific. What's your approach going to be? Diet? Which one? Is it a practical diet for you? A lot of the diets that people want to use are extremely laborious in terms of time because you have to you can't just get that at the store you have to stand and do you have the time to cook and to i don't know how long it takes to 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 boil kelp but i'm just saying you know Mm -hmm. it's just you have to make sure this is a practical thing for you you have to make sure that your motivation is correct 
Um, what happens a lot of the time is if our motivation is extrinsic, uh, like an external thing, like I want to lose 20 pounds, you'll lose 20 pounds if you're lucky, and you'll gain it right back very quickly. Because if the goal was lose 20 pounds, what's the goal once you've lost it? Where's the motivation then? You've lost it. What's your motivation now? You so know? if it's not to stay healthy, it's, if it's not to become healthy and stay healthy. That's a good goal. Health is a good goal. But then it's a little less dependent on the 20 pounds and more dependent on lifestyle change. And then you're going to get somewhere that's going to last. But that's exactly the point. A, a tool that has helped me incredibly is breaking things down into baby steps. Very important. Um, I, for the last year, stopped doing push-ups and sit-ups and running. And the, the only kind of exercise I can do that brings me any pleasure is playing hockey a couple of times a week. But that doesn't work on your upper body that much. And so... I've tried to will myself into doing these things, and I can't. So I remembered, oh, baby steps. And so about two weeks ago, I started by doing one sit-up and one push-up a day. And the next day, I did two. And the next day, I did three. And I'm now up to 11. And it's totally doable, and it's feeling easier because my muscles are getting a little bit stronger. And I recommend that for anybody. Make it a ridiculously small amount to start off with and add whatever the smallest increment is the next day. I, I'm, that's very, very important. And in fact, breaking it down into steps and into manageable steps is very important. What I say to people sometimes, they look at me like I'm crazy, but I say, if their goal is, I, but I'm not going to work out. I'm like, all right, you know what? But you have the time. Let's make this agreement. How about you go to the gym, you go to the locker room, you change into your workout clothes, think about whether you want to work out. If you don't, it's completely fine. Change back. Now, most people, by the time they got to the gym and changed into their workout clothes, they'll go and do the sit-up. In other words, it's about getting there and all of that. But if that's the goal, then they can, yeah, I'll get there and do that. And then they find, ah, screw it. I'll just... I'll do some of the workout. But yes, those baby steps are very important because baby steps are encouraging. When you do the one sit-up, which you can do, and the one push-up, which you can do, you're like, I met my goal. Good. Encouraging. When you fail because you said you're going to do 50 a day, then you're like, I can't do this, and you stop. So making the goals manageable, the ideal in psychology, the ideal goal is one that takes moderate effort. If it's too hard, it's not good. If it's too easy, it doesn't feel like enough of a success. So the moderately, the ones that require moderate effort is the range you should be um, uh, shooting for in terms of where the intermediate goals are that you're going to try and, uh, and, and aim for in that sense. So what are some other, some other tips for how to deal with with failure. All right. So, so one of the things that you know we, we really have to keep in mind when it comes to uh, uh, to failing and and uh, getting over it is, I said, the planning and the preparation. But the thing is this: we tend to have the same blind spots when it comes to failure. That's a good thing, because it means that we're going to make the same mistakes, and then if we can catch them, then that's what we have to look out for. And so there's some people who are great at starting things around the. 20% mark of the task is when they get discouraged. If you can look back and keep finding where you go awry, then you can anticipate that and build something in. If you know that you, this is where your motivation lags on week three, typically, because a lot of people will start a diet, say, they'll tend to fail at roughly the same point. 
They'll be good with it for a short... And people say, I'm always good for a month, but then it's like, great. You need to build in something very important at that one month mark to keep uh, your motivation up. Because now you know that's where it's going to lag. And so once you look back on your past failures, you can figure out where do I need to build things in? What are the, uh, the signs that, oh, this is where I need extra boosts of motivation, extra incentives, things like that. That will, that will make a very big difference um, in terms of, because that's what's going to happen again, uh, most likely. What are some other tips for dealing with uh, failure? Very, very important one is you want to focus on factors in your control. Because once you failed, you kind of tend to feel like it wasn't in your control. Uh, I didn't get the promotion because, you know, you know the, the, the boss likes those other two people, so they're always going to get promoted, you know, in front of me. So there's nothing I can do. Well, but that's not true. A, why does the boss like them? Oh, because they, they play tennis and the boss plays tennis. Learn tennis. Or um, is it their sales and you're not just as good as sales? Go take a sales seminar. Work on your relationship with the boss. Find out what the boss is interested in. Whatever it is, focus on what you do control. Because it's when you focus on what you can't that you feel helpless and that you feel there's not much more you can do than what you've already done. So it's important, it's especially important with kids, to focus them on what they can control. And with kids, it's very easy. Effort. Oh, I studied as hard as I can. No, 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 no. You didn't study as hard as you can. You studied hard, for sure, but not as hard as you can. You know why? Because you played video games that day, because you were reading comic books that day, because you went out with the friends that day. You could study more. Maybe that's what it takes. You thought you studied as hard as you can? Add 10% now, because it apparently wasn't enough. Effort is something you can control. Planning is something you can control. So focus on all those variables that are in your control. There are very few that essentially are not. Do you know what I mean? Yes. If you're five foot three, you're not going to be a model, most likely. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's not much you can do about that, but it's that very rare thing, you know, um, that really will prevent somebody. From, and then maybe you shouldn't be trying to be. But most things we want to do, we can do. There are success stories all over the place. And I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, one of the most helpful things f- for me when I'm dealing with something that's stressing me out is to do a triage of breaking it down into what do I have control over? What do I have not have control over? And to just surrender to the things I don't have control over and to focus on the ones I do and then try to give them priorities and think what, what is really important here and, and what are my motivations for wanting to do these? Cause sometimes I'll realize Oh, I don't need to do this because this is just about me trying to look good because I'm afraid of being rejected or I'm afraid of being alone or not being special. And I just need to, you know, kind of turn that over and just be okay with who I am. But other times it's like, no, I want the, I want the podcast to grow. I need to try to contact, uh, you know, a writer and see if they want to write a story, uh, about this, even though I'm terrified of them rejecting my idea i just go through with it and and i find that to be to be very helpful uh, as as opposed to just sitting and ruminating and saying the podcast isn't expanding right and by the way uh in just in, in terms of that example for example of trying to find a writer that will write about the podcast it's very scary to contact a writer and ask them to write about the podcast ironically it's mu- it's much less scary to contact 10 writers mm-hmm. because then you just cross one name off the list and go to the next 
Um, so it, sometimes doing things in volume, ironically, if one is scary, 10 should be 10 times scary. But if one is scary, 10 is much less scary in those kinds of scenarios. Maybe I hire one of those planes that has the message trailing behind it. Yes, but where would you fly it? <laughs> where, do the writers, where do the writers hang out? <laughs> Martha's Vineyard. Okay, very good. Uh, what are some other tips for dealing with, uh, with failure or the anticipation of failure? So one of the things we know, um, we used to think, okay, happiness is based on succeeding at our goals. Um, but turns out not so much. You know, most marathon runners, for example, not the professionals, obviously, but the, the amateur uh, marathon runners, um, their high for completing the marathon usually disappears even before their nipples stop bleeding. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you know that, but yeah, it turns I out. I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> It turns out running four miles with a T-shirt will... With will simulated create, blood will, will, coming down right, the nipples. Yeah, so it does happen. But my point is that that high lasts for a very short amount of time. If you track where people's happiness and satisfaction is along, let's say, just as an example, training for and completing a marathon, it is in getting, it's in making progress towards our goal is a much more satisfying, life-affirming, motivating, and happy thing than actually reaching it. So it's a great thing to keep in mind. And it's health, for example. When you define health as something you want to do, living your life, looking back in the week and going, that was a healthy week for me. I worked out this amount of times. I did this amount of push-ups. I ate reasonably most of the time. That's very satisfying. And that's where you'll feel happy about yourself. And if you're too focused on the scale for some reason, then that's an external thing that you'll hit, and then what? So it is about creating goals that are longer-lasting and really focusing on the journey because that's really where we get our happiness and our satisfaction. Once it's achieved, then now what? And I think something else I would add to that is it's so dangerous to set up your goals in terms of how other people will react to you and how they will respond or take notice of you like i'm going to work out until that girl in the gym notices me well or you know i'm going to you know work at this until i win an award uh for something um because then your 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 goal is something that you have no control over absolutely and then you can work out till you become literally mr universe and it turns out you was a lesbian so sorry it didn't work for you you know in other words yeah the external thing in general whether certainly if it's to impress someone else it's not the right goal because that's completely not in your control that's not something that you know is a really sufficient motivator and it's not something that's going to make you feel good because it's you're completely giving up your control and 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 how you're going to feel you're putting it in the hands of a stranger or a non-stranger but you're putting it in someone else's hands why would you do that keep that in your own hands what are some other tips for failure I think those are the main ones in terms of, again, there are always uh, all kinds of ones in the book, um, but it's really about, to me, the most important parts of it are the before you start. It's about defining the goals uh, in a very clear way that's concrete. It's about breaking them down into the small steps and to the mini goals. It's about planning how you're going to uh, reach them. And it's really about, this is actually one I didn't mention, but it's very important, anticipating where the hurdles are going to be and figuring them out ahead of time. So you need to get to the gym, but you have a babysitter that tends to cancel you know, lock up the second babysitter before you start, because otherwise it'll be very difficult to keep your motivation up when you're worried all the time about, will she cancel on me, will she not? You know, figure out where the hurdles are, when you, where you tend to go off track, 
and, and figure out solutions to that before you start. Have a well-thought-out plan of approach. I've heard um, people suggest going out and intentionally doing things imperfectly to become more comfortable, um, to ease that perfectionist that can sometimes have them frozen because they're afraid of making mistakes. Is yes. that Yes, for perfectionists, for yes. perfectionists, that's a very good exercise because perfectionists really have to uh, build a resiliency in which they can tolerate imperfection. And really the best way to do that is to plan imperfection, you know, in that sense, and to go out and, you know, uh, do something uh, slightly wrong. You know, get it wrong, you're in school, aim for that B+. Plus. Horror, maybe, but you know, aim for the B plus, or go out and, 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 and make a mistake, or really come through and find the mistakes and be proud of them. Because let's say, set a goal, you need to make three mistakes a week. And then it's a goal. Go, yeah. you know, find them and then be proud that you did. You have to inure yourself, you know, really make yourself more immune to the, uh, when you're a perfectionist, to uh, not being perfect. And, and that you can build up that kind of uh, uh, immunity if you go and identify them and celebrate them thank you guy thank you thank you guys uh for all the great feedback you've been given uh guy and myself about the myself giving me about the uh the many episodes uh, i've been forwarding all your nice comments um to guy and uh, he's been quite touched um i'm gonna take it out with um three surveys this first one is, and these are unrelated, I, I think, to... Uh, okay, I guess this first one is kind of could be related to uh, to failure. Um, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by Suze. And uh, she writes, As a kid, my parents and I used to visit my grandparents on the weekends at their home in a retirement community just a few hours away. It was extremely stressful for my parents because my grandparents were the picture of dysfunction. Grandpa was crotchety, unpredictable, short-tempered, and could be incredibly verbally abusive if he was in the mood. One visit, my parents, grandparents, and myself all went down for a walk by the lake. My mom was teaching me to skip rocks, which I was pretty terrible at because I was a dumb kid. I guess I was not mastering the art as quickly as my grandpa would have liked, so he barreled over and screamed at us all, That ain't how you skip a damn rock. Let me show you how you skip a damn rock. I like how I gave him a southern accent. As he leaned forward to toss the rock over the water, he slipped and fell off the dock and into the lake. He totally bit it and was bleeding all over from the gravel at the bottom. He walked back to the house, dripping wet in silence. It was the longest walk of my life. To add a perfect cherry on top of his humiliation, my grandma only had brightly colored children's band-aids to put all over his face and arms. He went to his room for the rest of the night. We left early that trip, and that really was the last time we did a family activity. Thank you for that awfulsome moment. This is a happy moment filled out by. Um, actually, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna read uh, another one first. I'm gonna read another awfulsome moment first, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Blue Tulip, and. Uh, I guess this could fall into the failure category, but uh, it just kind of amused me. After my husband and I had been married for a few years, I realized that things were going badly for him in graduate school. In fact, things were going so badly, he was told that he could not continue the program because of mental health issues. This meant we had to find somewhere else to live, and he had to find a job. Since we had been preparing to move to a new place for his internship, we decided to move to another state. 
Turns out that was a pretty terrible idea. We had no idea how difficult it would be to get new jobs in a smaller community and we struggled financially. It was a very dark time. I felt like we may lose everything and I felt powerless. After a few months, I was able to get a temp job doing data entry and a part-time job at a coffee shop. I decided that I should try to get out and make some new friends since, since things seemed to be looking up. I went and auditioned for the community theater and got a small part in a dumb play. Even a dumb play felt better than sitting around and there were some nice people to chat with at rehearsals. I'd been in plenty of productions before, but I still managed to make a, quote, rookie mistake in our first weekend of performances. I can't remember if I had worked one or both jobs, but I didn't have time to go home for dinner before my call time, so I just got a burrito and a Diet Coke on my way to the theater. I think everybody can tell where this is headed. During my first scene, I was seated in a ladylike fashion in a wingback chair, trading dialogue with two other characters. We were supposed to be having witty banter when a ghost enters the room. Only the one person can see the ghost, and the other two of us pretend that we can't see her as she walks around the stage. At this point, the burrito made its presence known. I totally ripped gas. The wingback chair was padded enough that it wasn't so bad, but I knew people could hear it. I wanted the floor to open and let me dive in, but I am a professional. I bit my lip and bravely said my next line. Did you if... Did you feel a breeze just now? So much for my fabulous stage career in a brand new town. Thank you for that. And then uh, this final one is a happy moment filled out by Kelly. She's in her 20s. And her happy moment is after an entire season of sitting on the bench during my eighth grade basketball season, my coach put me in with three minutes remaining in the last game of the season. I was a shy, tiny little wallflower at the time, but I had practiced so hard every day. I miraculously scored a three-point shot and and was fouled and made two perfect free-throw shots. It's the only made-for-TV happy movie moment I've ever had. Everyone in the stands stood up and cheered. I'll never forget the look on everyone's faces. So proud. Although I never played basketball again because it was terrifying, I'll never forget the one night in middle school that I felt like a superstar. Thank you for that, Kelly. And thank you guys for... Uh, being a part of this thing. This thing we call the Mental Illness Happy Hour. And uh, we'll see you Friday. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.